In a world where it seems like there's so much going wrong, I want you to see the people who are spending their lives doing and seeing the good. Welcome to the Doing Good Podcast, where we discuss the stories of people who are changing the world in their own way. I'm your host, Carmen Herbert. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Doing Good. I'm very excited to welcome Mary Alice Hatch to the podcast today. Mary Alice has been a Relief Society president in the San Onofre Ward for four years in California. She is also an ordinance worker at the Newport Beach Temple, which, side note, is one of my very favorite temples. I lived in Irvine for a few years, and I was so excited when Newport got a temple. After being a devoted stay-at-home mom for 23 years, Mary Alice felt inspired to officially start the What Now podcast in September of 2019 after her son came home early from his mission. His early return showed her the reality of the stigmas that still exist around certain cultural norms in our church culture, motivating her to address these cultural challenges in a respectful and honest way in an effort to create more understanding, hope, and healing for our church community. Mary Alice, welcome to Doing Good. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I am really excited to talk with you today. I have four boys. They're eight to 14 right now. And of course, we talk about missions a lot. And of course, as as each of them will hopefully choose to get baptized, my youngest one, hopefully in the next few weeks and receive the Aaronic and then Melchizedek priesthood will choose to serve missions someday. That's what we're preparing them for. But I know that that sometimes our expectations for our kids are not the reality of what happens. And, and, and unfortunately, we have this stigma in our church culture of children that go out and they serve and they're dedicating their lives to doing something, by the way, really, really hard and difficult. And, and in, this, in today's world especially, I mean, it's, it's, it's a challenge and to serve a mission and be away from family, especially if you struggle with any kind of mental or physical health challenges. And I've had both a niece and nephew come home early from a mission. And we, I remember thinking, okay, do I love them any less? No. Is their service any less important? Absolutely not. And thinking about my own children, thought, okay, how would I react and what would I do if one of my boys chose either not to serve or came home early after a few weeks? And I would love to talk with you about how you've navigated this and been so open and honest in helping just people understand and love and show compassion to kids that come home early from their missions. So let's start, of course, with you, first of all. I want to know about where you grew up and kind of what your childhood was like, how you met your husband, and then we'll kind of get into everything else. Okay, sounds good. So I grew up in Potomac, Maryland. I'm the youngest of four girls. My grandfather and my uncle, Bill Marriott, started the Marriott Hotel Company, which is the largest hotel conglomerate in the world. Yes. And I was blessed to have an excellent education. And I was sent to BYU. I loved BYU. I didn't have a lot of member friends growing up. So it was a real blessing to go to BYU and have that opportunity. And that's where I met my husband, like many people who attend BYU. BYU. And I married Jess Hatch, who's the youngest of the late Senator Orrin Hatch's children. So we both came from 
interesting backgrounds. And I think that's what kind of connected us in a way too. We could relate to each other's backgrounds and he's a wonderful man. I'm grateful for him. And I'm grateful for my late father-in-law who's passed away. He was also a dear friend of mine, but I've been blessed with an incredible family that taught me a very strong work ethic. And I've been working since I was 14 years old and I'm grateful, grateful for the wonderful family that I was raised in. Well, that is so neat. I had no idea that you were Orrin Hatch's daughter-in-law. I love Orrin Hatch. So I have met with him and talked with him several times. My father-in-law is Governor Gary Herbert, former Governor Gary Herbert. And so I've had lots of opportunities to kind of rub shoulders with him. And he also sent me some lyrics to a song that, that he wrote right after I was on American Idol. And I had an opportunity to sing at one of his I don't even know. It was a fundraiser or gala or some kind of event uh, up at Sundance. And and he was the kindest, sweetest man. So that is so neat that we have that connection. I had no yeah. idea. Yeah, he was an incredible human being. Yes, he really was. And so you had a, a really strong, sounds like, family support system growing up and in the family that you married into as well. Yes, very and then you had two kids. You have a boy and a girl. Yeah. And you were a stay-at-home mom for 23 years. Did you do with, with, with your excellent education and everything that you've done and your, you know, entrepreneurial family spirit, did you ever want to work? Well, I did have a business on the side. I went back and got my master's in design when my kids were two and four because I thought if I watch another episode of Barney, I'm going to lose my mother. <laughs> <laughs> So I actually did get my master's in design and I did that on this side a little bit. But then my daughter has endometriosis and she started having a lot of pain and was very sick. And so I had to stop doing that and really give my full attention to her. So it was kind of school hours. You know, I just helped people on the side when they were in school. So nothing that ever affected them in their lives. I think they yeah. didn't even know I worked when they were little. Yeah. <laughs> so... But I did step aside from that and I was fully all in when my daughter was about 13. So, but I, I would consider myself a stay at home mom because I never worked when they were home. Yes. So, and I was fully vested in them. So, yes. Yeah. I, I would, I would consider myself the same. I'm a stay at home mom. I do this podcast while my kids are at school and then I teach voice lessons when they come home, but from my home with them as they're yeah. doing math homework in between. Right. That's right. You make it work. <laughs> you make it work. And and I feel so blessed to be able to do that too. And and it's it's fun for me to have a little creative outlet on the side and be able to still use my talents and help teach other people. And it, it's fun for me. But man, it 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 really is a full-time job being a mom. It's nonstop. It's 24-7. Okay. It's middle of the night. It's first thing in the morning. It's not half time. Yeah. And so and so you tell me where you raised your children. So we raised our children in Boston and a little town called Wellesley, Massachusetts, which is 20 minutes west of Boston. My husband went to business school in Boston, and so we just stayed. My sister lived there, and the education is so good there. The public schools are like in the top 50 nationwide every year. I mean, it's a wow. great school system. So wow. we decided to just stay, and we loved it there. And then when my son was 17... He had met some kids at EFY and BYU basketball camp, and there weren't a lot of members where we were. And he really was wanting that in high school and really kind of pleading with us to move to Orange County where there were just tons of members of the church. And I thought, well, 
I like Boston. And my husband and I both have, you know, a comfort zone there. We both had jobs we liked there. We both, you know, had friends and relationships there. But, you know, we really did go to the temple and pray about that. And because when you see your child slipping, yeah. it's scary and they don't have yeah. a support network to fall into. Yeah. I mean, he was one of uh, two kids at the whole high school who was LDS. And so it was really difficult. And so, and he was an athlete. He was a very good athlete. So he played varsity sports and, but you know, that circle he was with wasn't the best group of kids. So he, you know, met all these amazing kids. He's like, mom, can we look at it? And so we went out and we looked at it and it was like hand to glove. I mean, perfect fit for him. And he just fit in perfectly. Went to a steak dance with 450 kids, had the time of his life. I mean, it was an incredible opportunity for him at that stage in his life. We only have two kids. And so we came back and prayed about it. My husband and I went to the Boston Temple and we both had a very powerful impression that we had to leave immediately. And that was a leap of faith because I did not know one person in San Clemente. But everyone I talked to, my friends that lived in kind of the surrounding Orange County area, like San Diego area, they just said, if you're going to move here for that, you go to San Clemente. That's where all the youth is. So we explored it, prayed about it, knew it was the right fit. And a month later, we lived there. No I mean, it was way. A month later? Places. I'm so, I'm such a creature of habit. I hate change. I can't even believe I did that. But the Lord said, you're moving. And Across so, country, completely different climate. I mean, it's, it's, was a huge change in every way. And why not? What was it about Orange County? He just met some friends from ES, from FSY there? or like how from, not Yeah, it was especially for youth back then at BYU. And then yeah. he'd gone to BYU basketball camp and met some other kids from there. And so he went to, we came out, he went to a football game, kind of connected with those kids and he just morphed right in. I'm like, okay, these are his people. This is, oh, this okay. is his place. That's his place. But well, I got a confirmation from the Lord saying yes. you need to leave because it would have been very difficult for me to leave unless I'd had a confirmation yes. and exercising that faith to leave and go way out of my comfort zone. It's a totally different culture here. And I was raised oh, wow. in the East Coast and so was my husband. And so, and but we love it. I mean, it has been a blessing for me just as much. <laughs> the best oh. thing that ever happened. See, isn't that wonderful that the Lord really does know what he's doing when we trust him and it is so scary to uproot your family and move across the country to a completely different place. And, but isn't it so neat that the Lord knows what he's doing? And he's like, this will bless you just as much as your son. How did your daughter deal with the change? She was at BYU, so it didn't affect her at all. Oh, and in perfect. fact, it was great because we could You're see closer. So much. <laughs> That's it's like wonderful. a bus ride. It's an hour and a half from Orange County. So oh, easy. Isn't that amazing? The love of a mother, like what we wouldn't do for our kids. We'd, we'd do anything. We'd move across the country for them that they can be happy. Well, so your son had this great group of friends and did he finish out his high school strong? Was he happy? Was it Very. a good change for him? Oh, totally changed his life. I mean, he had a million friends in the church and he wasn't even thinking about going on a mission when we lived in Boston. It wasn't even on his consideration. And then he had all these kids here and that good influence and all his friends are going and he just was riding the wave, you know? Yeah. And he was excited about it. And so he gave two beautiful farewells. We have a summer home in New Hampshire where all our family goes and our close friends. And so he had a beautiful farewell there and he oh, gave the most powerful 
speech I think I've ever heard. He speaks with such sincerity, no notes. He just speaks from his heart. That's just how he is. Wow. And there were people coming up after who were so touched by that. And then he spoke again here in San Clemente, and the turnout was huge. I mean, it's interesting because he wasn't known really when he came here, and he just adapted so well, everyone knew who he was. I mean, his gift is with people. And pe- his friends are like, he fits in here more than we do, and we were raised here. Like, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's meant to be just a dude, you know, like he's a surfer. He's incredible surfer and skater. And that's what he really loves. Yeah. And so, and all the kids here are kind of into that. So he just, yeah, perfect place for sure. But he did go on a mission. So, and, and he loved the MTC had a beautiful experience there. And then he went out into his mission in Colorado and there's just like a, a switch that flipped when he got there, just the isolation, the loneliness, being with one companion 24 seven. It's like, he's such an extrovert. It was so, and a million roles in church 24 seven. I mean, no one prepares you for how hard a mission is. It is very difficult in, in a lot of ways. And, and it's a lifestyle change, like you said, as, as well as, you know, you're giving up two years of your life to serve the Lord and, and to, and to teach the gospel. And it's a great way to sort of, you know, kick off adulthood. But if you're, if, if you're not ready and prepared for that, it can be a complete shock to get out there and say, wait a minute, this is, I mean, going from surfing and hanging out with friends to wearing suits every day and preaching the gospel. And I mean, that is a major shift. It will be hard on anybody. And Colorado, it's cold. <laughs> It's that the altitude's different. I mean, I, I've, I've read a lot about oxygen levels in the brain and altitude and how that affects depression and anxiety. And studies have shown that those of us that live in the Rocky Mountains or higher altitudes have a higher rate of, of depression and anxiety. And it's because our brains, there's literally not as much oxygen in the air and our brains need oxygen and it affects our hormones, the dopamine and serotonin, and it affects those levels. And I had no idea. And and funny enough, my I have anxiety, and my son has ADHD, and 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 this comes from my dad's family. And we have depression with aunts and uncles in our family, and we all live from Canada to Utah, like I mean Calgary and high altitudes in here. And so that could have played into it as well. Just the altitude change, as crazy as that sounds. Could affect yeah, that's them. interesting. I've never heard that before. Well, you can always come visit me in San Clemente. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, my mom grew up in San Diego and I lived in Irvine when I was little, little, and then lived in LA for a few years when I did, when I did American Idol. And California has my heart. It really does. I, if I could ever rip my husband away from Utah County, I would, I would go to California in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah, it really is amazing here. I, he did, yeah, he had kind of almost like this acute episode of anxiety that yeah. were just like, he almost couldn't function. And he, I remember him calling me and, you know, your heart skips a beat when you see a number from Colorado Springs come up. And I know my son's there on a mission. Yeah. And I just think, oh no, what yes. does this mean? Yes. You know, and I pick up the phone, I hear his voice is just like a broken person. And I think, oh my gosh, what is happening? 
Yeah. And he's just like, I, I can't stay. This is too much. I feel like I'm shutting down. Like I can't handle this. And, you know, of course we try to encourage him, you know, it's your first transfer. Right. <laughs> Maybe you just finished right. the transfer. Yeah. Everyone freaks out when they get out there, you know? Yes. But I mean, it was more than that. Like, he's like, mom, seriously, like I, if I stay here, I feel like this is going to ruin my life. Like I'm going to get some weird depression thing that won't leave me. Like I, I have to get out of here. Like, and he was kind of like, I'm not asking. I'm just kind of telling you I'm leaving. But I'm coming and so, home. And so I'm like, okay, you know, if that's what you're deciding, when we teach these kids to seek revelation their whole lives, Right. You know, if you watch the Elder Holland video, which is incredible, I encourage anyone listening to this who has a missionary out or someone who's come home to watch that. You just Google Elder Holland early return missionary and it'll come up. Okay. But he talks about you don't need to quantify your mission. You know, if you go for a week or a year or six months, you don't have to quantify it. You just say, I served a mission. We're just gl- grateful for the service you could offer and the faith that you showed to even go. It yes. takes a lot of faith and courage to even go. It does. Get in that headspace where you're going to dedicate two years of your life. It does. In the middle of nowhere, wherever they put you. Yes. And, and he just, it was such a reassuring video for him. That's actually what he watched when he decided to come home. Yeah. And, and so we were supportive of it. I mean, I just feel like I've been teaching him his whole life to follow personal revelation. He was doing that. So fine, come home. You know, it's like, can I have a poster? Like, it's so funny. My husband's like, what? So we're at the Orange County Airport at the bottom of the stairs holding our poster with the two of us, you know, no one's yeah. there. And, and he, you know, runs down the stairs and into my arms. And I feel like that was a turning point. I felt like, okay, he has turned into a new chapter of his life. And he really converted himself in the MTC. Like his letters from the MTC were incredible. He's like, oh my gosh, this is true. Yeah. The Mormon's actually true. Like, yes. I believe this. And it's like a light bulb went off at the MTC. And I said, fine, if that converted him, maybe that's his mission. He converted himself and he can share the gospel in his own unique way in his life. His, your whole life is a mission, really. Yes, it so. is. And, and honestly, that is if that was what his mission was supposed to be, is that he gained a solid, firm testimony in his Savior Jesus Christ and in his gospel. I mean, what more could you want for your child than that? Like, that is incredible. That is the biggest blessing. And and I love that image of him. It makes me emotional running into your arms, just knowing no matter what, my mom is there for me. She loves me. She's supportive of me. It wasn't shameful. It wasn't a rejection. It wasn't, I can't believe you did this. It was, we're here and we love you with your poster because why not? Why not? doesn't matter how long it was. He served a mission and he came home. Why wouldn't you embrace him and celebrate him in every way? Yeah, and I have to say, I really applauded him for having the guts to come home. Yes. Because a lot of his friends didn't and they stuck it out and they ended up coming home and leaving the church. And so I would rather have him come home with a testimony intact than stay for face value so he doesn't have the shame of the culture and be active. I mean, I just, there's a lot of that in our culture. It's super damaging. And why? why, why Parents need to be careful. Yes. How parents receive these kids is how 
successful these kids will be with moving on from the situation. I had, reminds me of a, a young man who was serving his mission here in San Clemente. He decided to go home early. His mom called me and, and I just, and she was mad. I mean, she was upset. She was not happy he was coming home. She was going to read him the riot act. Like, it was not good. He's from a small town. Everybody knows who their family is. And I think it was kind of this mark of shame on the family. And I said, I will give you one piece of advice. Do not do that. When he comes home, you love him. You embrace him. You tell him how happy you are to see him, how glad and proud you are of him for making that decision for himself. And you check the box and you move on. Because if you just ride him about the mission, all of this, it's going to drive him right out of the church. So, and she did do that. And so, and it was a few months later, I checked in with her and like, how are things going? You know, and she's like, I am so grateful. I, I followed your advice because we have a good relationship. You know, he's doing well. And, and because when they come home, they know the cultural expectation. Everything in our church culture points to the mission. I hope they call me on a mission in primary. Then yeah. they do temple prep. They do all, everything is focused on them launching into this mission experience. Yeah. And when that doesn't manifest for the full 18 months for girls, two years for the boys, it is a crushing experience for the yeah. families and the kids. Yeah. And we are trying to move away from that in our culture, but it is definitely part of our culture. Yeah. And there, some of these kids are suicidal over it. I mean, it is horrific. I have seen it now that I've been doing this podcast. We talk so much about these cultural expectations on a variety of topics within the culture, but the missions, it is really harmful to these kids to not be treated with respect and love and open arms when they come home or they just can't move on from it. Yeah. So that's my advice to any parents listening right now. If you know kids who have come home, don't ask them why they came home. Don't have them share all these details about it. You just say, I'm so glad to see you. I'm so glad yeah. you're here. Yes. That's what they want to hear. You know, yes. what's next for you? Are you going to school? Like, what's next for you? Help them move on and help them see that you're not judging them. They need that. Right. And, and, and we, we as parents need that too. We need our children to feel loved and we need to feel supported by our ward members and family and friends when our children are going through hard things. I mean, if someone goes through anything difficult in the neighborhood, you're there for them and you support them. And and for anyone to to shun someone or or ask too many questions, like you said, it's just it's just not their place and it doesn't help anything. It just makes everyone feel bad. And so why, why, Mary Alice, do you think, why is there still this stigma? And, and, and do you think it's because in the mission call, it says it's expected you'll serve for a period of two years? Do you think that will ever change? Do you think it'll be, do you think, well, they'll, do you think there's ever a chance that it could be, you could pick six months, one year, 18 to, you know, like, how long do you want to serve? What kind of mission do you want to serve? I mean, I know there's lots of service mission opportunities right now. I just wonder if that time frame will ever change or if, if it will always be expected to be two years and then however long you stay. I don't know. I've, I've thought a lot about that, like about that time and frame in particular and especially with the, the mental health challenges that kids are going through now, if that will change in the future and why there's still the stigma, oh, it was early. 
I mean, they didn't like sign this contract, you know, I mean, it's, you know, it's just like, it, like you said, it's, it's, it's volunteer work. And, and when they come home, why is there still that stigma of, oh, you couldn't hack it? Why is well, that? I'm thinking of a few things, actually. I mean, from the pulpit, you know, our prophet in the last couple of years has asked, invited any worthy and able young man to serve a mission. And so when there's that invitation from a prophet, you think, okay, I, I have to do this, you know, and if I get revelation, I shouldn't do it, then I'm going against prophetic invitation. Right. And so I think that's one thing that's very challenging. And then in our culture, I think the older generations, the expectation is that you pull up your bootstraps, you forget yourself and you go to work, which yeah. is what President Hinckley's father told him. Yeah. This is a different generation we're dealing with here. I mean, this is a generation that is not that, you know, my, even my generation, there were no cell phones, no computers, no internet. Yeah. I mean, it was a very different culture we grew up in where we could be removed from our home and it wasn't that big of a deal. Right. You know? But now these kids are used to constant connection. They're used to constant media interaction. They are used to constant, even if they don't have friends next to them, they have friends in their phone. They're constantly yeah. communicating. And so when they go into an isolated situation with one person they may not like for six weeks, it triggers anxiety and depression they didn't even have. My right. son never had anxiety or depression. Yes. You know, I mean, it almost creates that situation. And so I think there's going to have to be changes at some point to address that because we are getting so many kids coming home. I think more than half the kids that go out come home. And so... We need to address that. And I'm sure the church will receive inspiration on how to do that because they know it's a problem. Yeah. But it, it's just, it's tricky because the service mission has a stigma attached to it as well. It's almost like you go on a service mission if you can't hack the real mission, you know? There's that a definite stigma it. attached to that too. And that's not fair. Yeah. So I don't know what the answer is going to be to that. I do think missions are wonderful things. You know, I have yeah. a brother-in-law who's a convert to the church. You know, missions are wonderful things and they bring people into the gospel, but they're not for everybody and not everybody is going to be able to, to stay. And that's okay. You know, I mean, like I said before, like our life is a mission. Yeah. And everything, how we treat people shows what kind of disciple of Jesus Christ we are. And so we just need to love people. We yes. don't have to shroud them in shame. We don't have to judge the situation. We just have to love them. Yes. And 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 I agree with what you said is is when we listen to the prophet and apostles and and we and we try to find our own revelation and 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 confirmation in what they've said and and to align our lives with with their counsel and teachings and and we do everything we can to follow them, then then what what happens in our lives, you know, whatever else, we're going to be supported and and help and and Heavenly Father will never leave us alone and He'll guide us and and like with your sweet son that felt like okay this this might do some permanent mental damage if I stay out here and and my dad's a psychiatrist and so we've talked extensively about depression and anxiety and and I had postpartum after my fourth child and you know, I'm like, why? I, I I never experienced depression. I have anxiety. I had a little bit of probably obsessive compulsive disorder growing up that I am just kind of figuring out 
now with just the way I would deal with things and look at life. And anyway, my dad said that there's lots of things that can trigger depression and it's not always a lifelong thing. There's clinical depression and a lot of times that's hereditary and and it's something that's in your family and you're born with and you have and that's just part of who you are. And then there's seasonal depression, you know, long winters like the one we've had here in Utah, just barely without seeing the sun, people that live in places that are dark a lot of the time. There's situational depression and and it, it can be triggered by exactly what you just said, a new environment, low oxygen levels for your son, not being connected to people when he's an extreme extrovert and maybe having companions he's not compatible with can trigger that. And it's not his fault and it doesn't mean he'll have it forever, but it's something that is serious. And and if he stayed in that situation, maybe he was wise enough to know that this isn't this wasn't good. And my conversion, my my mission was converting myself and and he did that and was faithful and 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 then came home. And so I, I think it's important that we address that the huge issue of mental health right now and prepare our kids before they go on missions, before they go to college, before they get married and they're adults living on their own and functioning to be how to take care of their mental and emotional health and spiritual health, how to build strength in it. it walking outside, seeing the sunshine, exercising, eating healthy foods, connecting with people, like how to function without their phone 24-7. Like these are skills that we didn't have to have growing up. I mean, yes, healthy, but with phones, like we didn't have to know like, oh, put your phone in a different room when you like, could you even imagine that? Like I, we grew up with like, you know, the phones that are attached to the wall. So it's so different. It, it is different. And and I'm seeing that with my own children. Like we take phones at night and like, we like to fall asleep to music. I'm like, it's not that anything you're doing is bad. It's the constant stimulation of information mm-hmm. and, and sound that is from the moment you go to sleep to the second you wake up, mm-hmm. it's, it's constant and you have to be able to function without that mm-hmm. or, or else it, it is, it's like a shock to your system. So Tell me some things that your son did when he got home that helped kind of get him back into the swing of things, get him back integrated into society. What did he do that helped him stay happy and strong after he came home from his mission? So that's a good question. So one thing is to get them working, to get them busy. That's really important. Like I I called a couple of friends I knew and just said, can you give him a job? Because he's got to stay busy because he's used to being so busy, right? Like it's very structured in the mission. And so I wanted to kind of keep structure in his day because if you have too much time on your hands for anybody, no matter where you're at in your life, if you have too much idle time, it's not good. Yeah. And so our electrician's a really nice guy. And he said, well, I need some help. I'll make him a paid apprentice. So he became a paid apprentice for our electrician. He actually learned an incredible skill. Wow. And he did that for six months. And it was really good for him to be learning something, to be busy, to be productive. And and so, and then he had other friends that kind of rallied around him. I mean, sadly, some of his LDS friends didn't. And that was so disappointing to me that they were probably the hardest on him. And his non-member friends rallied around him. Oh. And that was really sad for me. And they were like, really? Like he was talking about how he was kind of treated. And they're like, wow, I can't believe that. You know, and and so he kind of gravitated to a lot of these non-member kids during that time. 
And, you know, most of his friends were already kind of like on missions or in Provo and they were all wonderful to him, but, you know, kind of the local kids who are kind of preparing, I think it scares them. Like, oh my gosh, he came home and he was so popular here and everyone loved him. He's the coolest guy. And he goes on this mission. They're like, wow, Trevin's on a mission. Okay, we can do it, you know? And then he comes home. So who knows what they're feeling, right? Like, yeah, they're projecting those back. So, but, and and I don't want to shed a negative light on that at all because the community as a whole was very supportive of him. And one thing I did do, and I'm so grateful I did this, is I wrote an email to our entire ward and I told them he was coming home I told them the situation and I, I invited them to not judge him and to, I, I actually kind of asked them to behave in a certain way when they saw him because <laughs> a lot of people don't know what to say. Yeah. They don't say right. anything. And right. then people feel like, oh my gosh, are they ignoring me? But they right. just don't know what to say. Right. So awkward. And so I said, just ask him how he's doing. Just yeah. tell him you love him. Just hug him. Just walk right up to him and say hi. Don't make it weird. You know, yes. like I put together a very detailed email and sent it out, the whole email list. So people weren't surprised when he walked in the door on Sunday. They weren't like, yeah. whoa, what are you doing here? You right. Know? Yes. And I'm so grateful I did that because the reception was so sweet. And I let a few people in our ward know that he was coming home and he came home conference weekend. And it was actually interesting because President Nelson was talking about my son in the Worldwide Youth broadcast in 2018 when they talked about the boy who got his phone taken away and he got a flip phone. That was, that was my son. Uh-huh. No and so, way. you know, and the ch- dramatic changes he made and he did major changes that's what turned it around for me disconnected from all the pressure social media all that and then he really kind of got more spiritual and centered it totally changed him and then really quick you have to tell us where we can go to watch that again oh so it's a worldwide youth broadcast in 2018 so just look up president nelson worldwide youth broadcast 2018 and it'll come up and at the end of his talk he talks about this boy and his mother and how she took the phone away and gave him a flip phone and you know it's interesting because he kind of freaked out when i did that and then two days later he came back and thanked me oh he saved my life thank you i'm like this the worst thing ever it's been ruining me and so so anyway we fast forward, Trevin goes on a mission, he's thriving in the MTC, and then I, and then, you know, five weeks later, he's coming home on conference weekend when President Nelson does that follow-up about my son in conference. He brings it up again in October 2018 in his conference talk. And then he says, but he prepared to serve a mission. I called the church contact I had because I knew he was going to talk about this again. And he wasn't on his mission anymore. I said, he's coming home. Yes. On conference weekend. So you might need to adjust your talk, you know? And so they relayed the message to him. And I thought he would just drop it, right? Because it was a fail. He came home. But I have to say, I was really touched that President Nelson still addressed the fact that he went and that he, 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 you know, prepared to serve a mission is what he said. Yes. And, and that's what he did. He prepared and he exercised the faith to go. And so 
you know, I think that's that was a good model for all of us. We don't have to judge it. We just have to be like supportive and loving with these kids because it's very, very hard. There's a cultural expectation and and it causes a lot of trauma to these kids when they come home because of that. So that is such a tender mercy that your son was able to hear the prophet talk about him conference weekend and 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 probably like give him a little bit of time to be there that it's not immediately going to church on Sunday and immediately being around everyone that kind of was this little respite with just his family for a little bit and i think doesn't that just make you love president nelson even more that he loved your son so much and and talked about him knowing the situation and it wasn't like oh well then then he's not worthy of being in my conference talk no not at all that is the sweetest story oh and that just makes me love him and your son and you (laughs) even more that is and and we need that we need just to feel loved and like it's okay and we're doing what's right and even if for for whatever reason our our children come home or if you're listening and you came home early from your mission at some point that we can always have joy and peace and happiness our life isn't over because of either a mistake we made or a choice we made coming home that maybe during covid wasn't a choice or coming home and you felt like this this is a choice i don't want to do this anymore i can't be here that there's still hope and happiness and so much life ahead so much life ahead their lives are just beginning they're not over if that happens and we and and i think you've done mary alice such a wonderful job of of setting that up for your son and encouraging him and saying your life is just beginning like you have amazing wonderful things ahead of you it's not over because of this one decision that you made in your life of coming home from a mission. If the mission is not, you know, the end all of your life, it's, it's, it's the, it's the, it's like the springboard. And however that looks for anyone else, you know, it can teach you lessons on, on how to be a a wonderful, amazing, contributing adult for the rest of your life. And a missionary, Mm -hmm. like you said, your whole life. Yeah, your whole life is a mission. I mean, one thing I wanted to circle back to that you were talking a few minutes ago about is preparing these kids for a mission. I I really do think we need to have coping mechanisms taught to these kids. Yes. You're in an acute state of anxiety. This is how you diffuse it. If you're feeling lonely and homesick, this is how you diffuse it. If you are, you know, fighting with your companion, you know, we've got to have certain strategies. So they have coping mechanisms. So when these things flare up, they know what to do with it. I think so many of them come home because they don't know what to do with it. They're like, oh my gosh, I'm feeling homesick or I'm feeling overwhelmed or I can't stand this person I'm with 24 hours a day for six weeks. I can't handle this, you know, just some coping mechanisms. And I think it would ease the burden too for the mission presidents who are trying to manage all these kids and all their struggles. And there's yeah. only so many counselors in their area they can go to, you know? Yes. I think I, we preempt a lot of these problems. I completely agree. I think there should be, and 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 hopefully, and, you know, maybe this is someone out there listening can can be involved in this in their community or, or you know, if anyone has ideas on how to, you know, present it to the to the church about how to, prepare and, and, and temple prep classes and all that's wonderful. But like 
And I love the emotional resilience classes that, and, and course that the church has available now. And maybe that's mandatory for children, you know, and youth. Maybe that becomes instead of, if you want to take this course, maybe that becomes mandatory or something. I, there's on Instagram, I follow a page that's called Physiology, <laughs> Physiology First University, Physiology First. And it's all about empowering teens and kids to build strong emotional resilience, brain power. And they, they talk about the most incredible things. They have all these studies on, on cold plunging and, and red saunas and exercising every day and seeing the sunlight and how much do you need and what can we do to, to, to be better emotionally resilient. And they have courses and, and they're free to the kids. This is back East that, that live out there, but then you can become certified and start this in your own community. And I think it would be so amazing to have something like this to prepare our kids for when they go on missions and to be emotionally resilient and, and, and how to handle difficult situations and problem solve. And then I also think there needs to be a reintegration program for missionaries. Maybe something like kids that have served missions become mentors to return missionaries and they help them find jobs and they help them get registered for school. And they're kind of like their companions for a while as they, cause it's like you come home and it's like, okay, go find a wife, go get married, you know, and go to school. And it's like, that's kind of like the re-entry after the mission is really hard. And some kids kind of flounder for a while too. And I've heard that there's, in some areas, there's been kind of a, they almost think, okay, well, I served my, I was worthy and I served a mission and now I'm going to kind of have my rebellious phase for a while. Then I'll repent and get married. It's like, they have to like, I don't even know, get it out of their system and be crazy for a while after their mission. Like, well, I can't do it before because then I can't go. So I'm going to then go wild and crazy. And it's this weird mental shift that happens. I'm like, there has to be a program for supporting missions before missionaries before and something after mm. for all missionaries that come home in some way. I don't know. Maybe you and me, Mary Alice, we could think of something. <laughs> I just think it is so important. Anyone out there that has ideas of, of just helping these young 18, 19 year olds going out and coming home because they're still so young. They're so kids. No, I like that idea. Almost like a class offered even at BYU because so many of them come back to BYU, have a class yes. at BYU worth credit Yes, for how to adjust post-mission. That's a great I mean, idea. I mean, BYU should offer that because they have so many kids coming back to BYU and yeah. that is continually the issue. A lot of these kids have a lot of anxiety coming back. Like they've been in such a structured rule filled world and then they yeah. come back to like anything goes like no one's checking on you you don't have a companion you know right how do you navigate that and yeah. so i think you're onto something there with a class that's offered maybe at byu or maybe at a stake level like every stake has a class for these kids yes. when they come home and even an opportunity like you know this boy that came home in our ward recently my son was friends with him he's my son's five years older than him, but he's just a great kid and just cute and cool little surfer kid. And Trevin's always been friends with him. And so uh, Trevin's been talking to him throughout his whole mission too. And so when he came home, he's like right there for him, you know? So maybe, you know, parents or leadership identify someone that they're close to who can be there for that child when they come home. Yes. So they're not like, floundering and not knowing who to connect to and who to talk to and 
they just need a wingman kind of when they come home. And that could be really important for parents to identify someone that that child trusts and loves that could really be checking in on them and helping them. I love that idea so much, almost like a ministering companion or home teaching companion that they're assigned to that. And, and, and not that it's like, oh, well, I, I have to be assigned to a friend, but like, I mean, or calling even too. like, I'm a return missionary specialist. Like, you know, we're the return missionary couple specialists and we help kids. We talk to them about jobs. We talk to them about their education, something. So it's not just like, okay, because it is hard. I think let's keep talking. I think we could come up with something. I think that would be awesome. Well, I'm so grateful, Mary Alice, for you taking the time to talk with us on doing good and about your wonderful example of, of loving your son when he came home. If people want to listen more about stories and and hear more about your experience and your sons, you have a podcast too. Tell us about that. I do have a podcast called What Now that I started, as you said, in September 2019 when my son came home early. And I have an episode about my son coming home. So you can just go wherever you listen to podcasts. It's called What Now. We also have an Instagram at podcast what now. And you can go. We have inspirational messages. Four times a week, I post a variety of different things. Every other week, I release a new podcast. And on the alternate week, I re-release one of my older podcasts for the newer people who haven't reviewed all 93 of my podcasts. <laughs> but we talk about everything in the culture and beliefs in the church in an uplifting and productive way to help people see where they can stay. Awesome. Despite the issues they have with the church culture, that there is a place for them. There's a place for everybody in this church. Yes, there is. Everyone is needed and wanted. And, and I think it's wonderful that you have a platform that, 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 is, that is shouting that from the rooftops. Like you are needed and wanted, even if you don't feel that way. And even if you've had experiences where, where, where you haven't felt that. And we're, because we're all imperfect people saying dumb things and making dumb mistakes and not knowing what to do and not knowing how to act. And, and we're trying our best, but but this, the gospel of Jesus Christ is for you. It's for everyone. It's where you want to be. Beautifully said. Thank you so much, Mary Alice, for coming on my podcast today, for all the good you are doing. Thank you for having me. I loved it. We've got some good ideas rolling here. We do. Let's keep them. Let's keep them rolling. With <laughs> Thank okay. you. Thank you. Carmen Herbert, and I'm so excited to tell you about an amazing app that my whole family loves. It's called Our Turtle House, and it's full of literally thousands of hours of full-length talks, just like the old talk on CDs or talk on tapes, from some of your favorite Latter-day Saint speakers like John By the Way, Mick Johnson, Hank Smith, me, and a ton more. Plus, there's podcasts, firesides, devotionals, come follow me resources, and entertaining content your whole family will enjoy, truly, all in one little app. And you can use promo code doing good, all one word at checkout, and you get a full month free. So check it out and sign up at ourturtlehouse.com. See you soon.